Well, I want you to take out a Bible, if you would, whether it's on your phone or there's plenty of Bibles scattered uh, throughout the sanctuary and some of the seats in front of you. Uh, if you brought a Bible with you, I encourage you to bring your Bibles with you to church. We, at Good Shepherd here, we always dig into God's Word, and part of digging into God's Word is opening up the pages of Scripture and looking at them together. So I want you to turn to Matthew chapter 24. We're going to look at several verses in Matthew chapter 24, but to set the stage a little bit here, this is the week that's leading up to Jesus's crucifixion. And at the beginning of Matthew 24, it says that Jesus left the temple, the temple in Jerusalem, and it says, and he was going away when his disciples came to point out to him the buildings of the temple, it says. Now, Mark's gospel describes this just a little bit further. It says, one of the disciples says to Jesus, look, teacher, it's kind of that wow moment. Look, teacher, what wonderful stones and what wonderful buildings. I've got a picture of this. This isn't an exact picture. This is a, a modern rendering of what this temple may have looked like in Jesus' day. And this really was a magnificent structure. This is the temple that was rebuilt after the Jewish people returned from exile in Babylon. And, and later, this temple was remodeled by Herod the Great. Now, I want you to picture this for a minute. Take a look at this picture. I want you to imagine this for a second, that parts of this temple were made of massive, shining white stones, and get this, some of these stones were 37 feet long, 12 feet high, and, fit, and sorry, 18 feet wide. Imagine that, one stone. And this temple really was one of the uh, architectural wonders of the ancient world, and, and really, if, if you came across this temple, and if you're touring around Jerusalem, and you came and stood before this temple, temple how, how would you not be uh, in awe and, and just marveled at the incredible nature of this building? Imagine just the strength that was needed, the equipment and the people that were required to construct this incredible building. But we all know that it was man-made, wasn't it? And we can give God praise for giving men the ability and the creativity to be able to put together a structure like this. But for us in, in, in our humanity, it's very easy to get captivated by the material things of this world, isn't it? We can be so easily captivated by something built by human hands. But listen to what Jesus tells the disciples right here when the magnificence of the temple captured their hearts. They were in awe, remember? But look at what Jesus says to them, Matthew 24, verse 2. It says, but he answered them, you see all these, do you not? Truly, I say to you, there will not be left here one stone upon another that will not be thrown down. What would you be wondering? If you heard that, you were standing in front of this magnificent building, and then this is Jesus saying, basically, this is all going to be destroyed. What would you be wondering? Probably wondering the same things as the disciples, right? Thinking, when is this going to happen? And how is this going to happen? We would be asking the same thing, wouldn't we? 
we come to Matthew 24, verse 3, some of the disciples, as you can imagine, couldn't get this out of their mind. And it says, as he sat on the Mount of Olives, now the Mount of Olives was set just above Jerusalem, and sitting on the Mount of Olives, you have a, a panoramic view of the city, this city, beautiful, magnificent city, but, but really built by human hands. And the disciples asked Jesus, says, came to him privately saying, tell us, when will these things be and what will be the sign of your coming and of the end of the age? Natural questions, isn't it? When, when's this going to happen? When's this destruction? Gonna, and also, what will be the sign of your coming at the end of the age? And now what we know from history you know your history that just a few decades after this, the temple, that beautiful temple along with the entire city of Jerusalem would be destroyed. And, and we know that that happened in 70 AD under the command of General Titus. Jerusalem was destroyed and the temple was set on fire. Now, remember, there's two questions that the disciples are asking. First, when is that going to happen? But they also asked, and what will be the sign of your coming at the end of the age? Now, they were thinking in their mind that these things go together. They thought that the destruction of the temple would usher in the end of the age, and then the full kingdom of God would be in place. But Jesus has different, has a different response to these two questions and really answers these two questions differently. He acknowledges and says, yes, Jerusalem's going to be destroyed, but that would not be the end. That would only be a precursor of to the end that would come, the final coming of Christ, which is the coming that we're awaiting, isn't it? And don't you have the same questions as the disciples? Don't you find yourselves wondering, Jesus, when are these things going to happen, and what are the signs of, of your coming back to this earth? And God, when are you going to come and judge the wickedness of this world? And when, Jesus, are you going to come to take us home, take your children home to be with you? The message that Jesus gave the disciples that day sitting on the Mount of Olives really is a message for us. And, and we don't have time today to, to look at this entire chapter of Matthew 24. I encourage you to do that on your own. Be aware of what Jesus is saying. And, and we know that a little bit later in, in Matthew, uh, starting at verse 15, 24, starting at verse 15, he talks a little more specifically about this destruction of Jerusalem. But the section that we're going to look at today applies more to the period of time in which we are living that we are awaiting the coming of Jesus Christ. So I want to read Matthew 24, 4 through 13. It says, And Jesus answered them, See that no one leads you astray. For many will come in my name, saying, I am the Christ, and they will lead many astray. And you will hear of wars and rumors of wars. See that you are not alarmed, for this must take place, but the end is not yet. For nation will rise against nation, and kingdom against kingdom, and there will be famines and earthquakes in various places. 
All these are but the beginning of the birth pains. Then they will deliver you up to tribulation and put you to death. And you will be hated by all nations for my name's sake. And then many will fall away and betray one another and hate one another. And many false prophets will arise and lead many astray. And because lawlessness will be increased, the love of many will grow cold. But the one who endures to the end will be saved. And, the go- and this gospel of the kingdom will be proclaimed throughout the whole world as a testimony to all nations, and then the end will come. Now, what Jesus is describing here, again, this is where it comes to hit home to us, is really giving us a summary of the period of time between his first coming and his second coming. And isn't it nice to know some of what to expect On our trip up to Sequoia, we uh, found out about an app that you can have on your phone that as you're going through a national park, it'll give you uh, a narration as you're driving through the park. It was was pretty awesome. We kind of had our own uh, self-guided tour, and uh, we we had it uh, plugged into our our car, the speakers in our car, and so as we were driving along, it was telling us about what we're going to see up ahead, and in about a half a mile on your right, the right-hand side, you're going to see such and such, and you can turn this way and, and go find a parking space, and, and there's bathrooms, and there's picnic tables, and it gives some history of that area and, and some of the sites to see, and, and, and it was helpful. It was very helpful to kind of to know what to expect and, and the things to look for. Now, Jesus here is, is giving us some of these signs, some of these indicators in this age in which we are living. I want you to listen to this. One commentator sums this up really well. See if this resonates with you. See if this doesn't describe the age in which we're living right now. One commentator says, this period that Jesus describes here will be characterized by social and political upheaval, persecution, tribulation, apostasy, which is a turning away from the faith, deception, and evangelistic enterprise, meaning that the gospel will continue to go forth. Does that not describe the times in which we're living today? Doesn't it? Well, yeah, what we have to know is that this goes back centuries. This has been true in the entire age of the church as the gospel has gone forth, and has there for centuries been social and political upheaval and and persecution and tribulation trials and a turning away of the faith from the faith and, and deception there have been and we continue to see that today but these are all signs that the coming of christ will be sometime soon we don't know the day or the hour but we can know that these signs point ahead to his coming And it's easy in a time like this to be confused and discouraged, but Jesus' goal here is not to depress us. He's graciously cluing us in ahead of time, and, and he's telling us some of these things, what we can expect, and when we see these signs, that we won't be tempted to wonder if if Jesus has lost control of the world. Have you found yourself wondering that lately? 
maybe sometime in the last two years, God, have you lost control? We're tempted to think that sometimes, aren't we? But these words of Jesus, if we read them correctly and if we take these words to heart, these words give us confidence as Christians. Jesus doesn't want us to walk around as discouraged Christians. He wants us to walk around as confident Christians that are living and in expectation of his coming and who have insight into what this age is supposed to be and what it's going to look like. And, and so I want to look at three things that, that give us confidence to live as Christians during the end times. And the first is this, don't be deceived. Don't be deceived. The first thing that Jesus tells us, he says, see that no one leads you astray, for many will come in my name, saying, I am the Christ, and they will lead many astray. Now, we know is that false Christs have led people astray in every generation. For whatever reason, there have been those that have come that maybe have specifically proclaimed that they are the Christ. We've seen that in different cult leaders over the years. But one thing that's, that, that all false Christs have in common is that they claim to have some kind of special knowledge or some kind of special insight to, that, that Scripture does not reveal. The other thing that they have in common is that they offer some kind of promise of peace and of security here on this earth. It's a temporal peace and a temporal security or a temporal prosperity. And that might be true that sometimes we do experience an earthly peace. Sometimes we do experience security and sometimes we do experience prosperity. But false Christ come to say that, yeah, you can find that here and now on this earth. And that's not the promise that Jesus came to give. Jesus came to give an eternal peace, an eternal security, an eternal hope that we can have eternal life with him forever in paradise. And then there are also those that have led people astray throughout history that have pretended to know the mind of God and somehow claim that they have figured it out and, and that they can predict the end of the world. Remember some of these people? And I challenge you to Google it sometime this week. Failed predictions of the end of the world or failed predictions of the return of Christ. There's too many to count. There are way too many to count. Some that have done calculations and, and tried to figure out the day of Christ's return. In fact, did you know? I didn't know this. But Christopher Columbus at one time predicted the end of the world. He wrote a volume called the Book of Prophecies. And he prophesied that the world would end in the year 1656. In fact, he stated very definitely, this is what he said, there is no doubt that the world must end in 155 years. So did the world come to, the end, to an end in 1656? No. This has been happening for centuries, and for some reason, people continue to buy into it, that somehow you can know, but what we know 
is that Jesus said plainly that no one can know the exact time. No one can know the day or the hour, and that the Son of Man would come at an hour we do not expect. Pew Research recently reported that 41% of Americans will believe that Jesus either probably or he definitely will return to earth by the year 2050. Okay? So a lot of Americans that believe that he's returning sometime in the next 30 years. And, and my question is, could he? Could he? He could? Will he? We don't know. Should we live like he will? Yes. Yes. And, and this gives us confidence then to live ready knowing that, that he is going to come. And those that are living in peace with God, trusting in Jesus Christ for forgiveness and salvation, will be taken to be with him forever. And I remember a time in my life, I was in middle school. This is in the, the this is about 1996. So I grew up in the 80s and 90s leading up to the year 2000. And that was a really interesting time to grow up. And so about 1996, this was a time in my life where I was uh, coming to know Jesus in a more personal way and understanding the gospel message more clearly and what Jesus did for me on the cross and, and how he rose again from the dead and that, he, that those who are, are trusting in Christ when he comes or when, when we die uh, on this earth that we, will, we, we can be forever with him in eternity. Those things were, were, I was coming to understand those things a lot more clearly. And this idea of Jesus' return really captivated me. And I remember at a Bible camp one year, we were sitting up late with our counselor, and we were asking all sorts of Bible questions and having a lot of spiritual conversations, and we were talking about Jesus' return. And I remember one of my friends raised his hand and, and said, you know what, my dad said that Jesus is coming back in the year 2000. I remember that, that got our attention. And I couldn't really, I couldn't get that out of my mind for a while. I'm doing the calculation. I'm like, that's like, that's four years from now. Wow. And it, it brought me peace and, and assurance that I was trusting in Christ, that I would not be left behind. But it also got me kind of distracted. And as time went on, there was probably a good couple years where I couldn't get that out of my mind that, okay, you know, the clock's ticking and you know, what's it, what's it going to be like? And what I've learned is that those predictions or even those speculations can often distract us from what's most important in living as believers. It, it, lead, it, it can only lead to disappointment or to more confusion, and, and it distracts us. It distracts believers from focusing on what's most important and carrying out God's mission for us on this earth. So Jesus says, don't be deceived. Don't be deceived. Just know that I, I've got things under control, that, yeah, you can't know the day or the hour, in fact, Jesus said, even the Son doesn't know, but only the Father knows. But that motivates us and gives us confidence to live ready. 
and to know that, that he's going to unfold his plan in his perfect time. The second thing, way that he gives us confidence is, is that we can be protected against panic. You noticed a lot of panic lately? Jesus speaks here. He speaks of wars and rumors of wars. Nation will rise against nation, kingdom against kingdom, and there will be famines and earthquakes in various places. But what does Jesus say about it? He says, See that you are not alarmed, for this must take place, but the end is not yet. And yes, this is a sign that the end is near, and, and yes, these events in the world are devastating. And it grieves our hearts, doesn't it? It grieves our hearts to see and to hear what's going on in Afghanistan. And then the recent earthquake in Haiti and the devastation that has followed. And we can and should be responsive. And we can be alarmed in the sense of, of being alert. And there's a, there's a level of shock that comes along with that, isn't it? Of course, evil and disaster should be, should, should cause a reaction of concern and a reaction of alarm, but Jesus doesn't want us to live in a state of being alarmed. Does he want us to panic and to live in a state of panic? How many of you have ever used your panic button on your car? Maybe a few. Okay. Okay. So only a few of you raised your hands. How many of you have accidentally set off your panic button on your car. Okay, I almost see about all hands going up. I remember when my grandparents, you know, back in the day, they got their first car with one of those remotes. And my grandma set off that panic button all the time. <laughs> but what happens when you accidentally set off the panic button in your car? What happens? How do you feel? You panic, right? <laughs> So it kind of defeats the purpose, right? The panic button is so with you, you know, how many, of, how many people would actually come upon their car over at the grocery store and see someone breaking into it? And like, what are the chances of that? And then you hit the panic button, they run off. You know, that's, that's what it, my understanding is what it's intended for, right? But when we set it off accidentally, we, we panic, don't we? Our heart races. We're living in a very panic-driven era. We're constantly being bombarded by things that, that cause panic. And what does panic do to us? It, it paralyzes us. And then we can get overtaken by worry and overtaken by fear and, again, become preoccupied with wondering how is all this going to end and what is this going to lead to? Former NFL player and coach Tony Dungy. I don't know a lot about sports, but I do know who Tony Dungy is, former coach for the uh, Indianapolis Colts. Well, Tony Dungy was deeply impacted by his former coach, Chuck Knoll, who was uh, the Pittsburgh Steelers coach for a long time, known as one of the greatest coaches of all time. Tony Dungy recalls that Coach Knoll constantly drove home this point to his players. And this is what he would say. He said, leaving the game is a sign of panic. And panic is not part of our game plan. He says, leaving the game is a sign of panic. And panic is not part of our game plan. 
I believe that's true in a spiritual sense. That panic is a not part of the Christian's game plan and not part of God's game plan. And this is why Jesus is revealing us to us these things that we see here in Matthew 24. Do we believe that God is unfolding his game plan? Do we believe that? Do we believe that, that God is in control even when there seems to be chaos all around us? What Jesus is saying, you don't need to be alarmed. You don't need to panic. And while, yeah, we need to recognize the wars and the earthquakes and the famines as devastating and grieving, we, rec- we recognize it all as a, a part of living in this fallen and shattered world that has only one answer for hope. It only has one answer for hope. And that hope is faith in Jesus Christ. Confidence in his plan that is unfolding. Hope in the redemption that he has given us, that he has purchased for us on the cross. I mean, isn't there a pursuit of of immortality? I mean, isn't that what every human wants? We won't find it here. We won't find it here on the earth. We'll only find it through faith in Jesus Christ as a hope that we hold on to that one day we will experience in his presence. And so my question now is, if wars have been happening throughout history, if earthquakes are inevitable and they continue to happen, and if famines happen in various places at various times, then then what is God doing in all of this? Because see, in, in many ways, what we're seeing in our world isn't necessarily anything new. Now, what we do know is Jesus tells us that uh, there, he, he says here lawlessness will be increased, and, and these things that he's talking about are just the beginning. So there's a sense here that things can and, and are getting worse. The thing that I'm realizing is that human beings, mankind, continues to find new ways to sin. And in that sense, lawlessness will be increased. The enemy finds new ways to tempt people and cause people to fall into sin. But here's an insight that I've been pondering, that Jesus wants every generation, every generation in his church to feel a sense of urgency about the coming of Christ. And when we don't live with a sense of urgency, it leads to procrastination, doesn't it? And so we don't need to live in panic. We don't need to live in alarm. But we should live with a sense of urgency. And then as we do, we, we remember that neighbor that we continue to see, that we've continued to build a relationship with, and maybe hasn't, you haven't had that opportunity to actually share the gospel with them yet. We feel the sense of urgency to be raising up our children and our youth to know and love Jesus Christ and equip them to to defend their faith, to share their faith. Because Jesus is coming. He's coming soon. We don't know when. And he wants to use all of his children, all of his disciples as bright lights in this dark world. 
You're living with a sense of urgency today. That urgency gives us confidence and gives us motivation. As saved believers, as, as those who are trusting in Christ, sure that our salvation is waiting for us. Gives us urgency to take that hope into this world. And last, what we see, this call to endure to the end. So don't be deceived. Be protected against panic and endure to the end. Verses 9 through 12. I'm going to warn you ahead of time. This doesn't sound good at first. Jesus says, And then they will deliver you up to tribulation and put you to death. And you will be hated by all nations for my name's sake. And then many will fall away and betray one another and hate one another. And many false prophets will arise and lead many astray. And because lawlessness will be increased, the love of many will grow cold. Does this sound like an easy time to be a follower of Jesus? No, and does, does this mean that we are going to face persecution here, right here where we live in America anytime soon? It very well could be. We know that many of our brothers and sisters throughout the world and various places are being persecuted for the name of Jesus. And what we do know is true is how this became true for the disciples. We know that Peter and John were thrown into prison. Stephen was stoned to death. James the apostle was executed by Herod for his faith in Jesus. And what we know about the disciples is that eventually for all the apostles except for John lost their lives as martyrs. And that was really just the beginning of the ways that Christians would suffer throughout the centuries. But what does Jesus tell us? No matter what we face, whether we face persecution imminently, whether it's further off or at whatever point and whatever way we might face it, what does he say? Verse 13 and 14. But the one who endures to the end will be saved. And this gospel, this good news of the kingdom will be proclaimed throughout the whole world as a testimony to all nations. And then the end will come. God has this plan that he's continuing to unfold and fulfill. And he wants to use us as followers of Christ to fulfill that plan and what we need, what we need from God, not in our own strength, is his endurance and his strength. In Hebrews 12, in closing, this is where we get this endurance. Calls us here, it says, let us run with endurance the race that is set before us. It says, looking to Jesus, Looking to Jesus, other versions say fixing our eyes on Jesus, the founder and perfecter of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross. It says despising the shame and is seated at the right hand of the throne of God. You know what gives us 
the most strength and the most endurance in the times in which we're living is knowing that Jesus went before us. That, yeah, there's a battle that we're living in, a spiritual battle, a worldly battle, but Jesus has already won the war. He won the war when he died on the cross and rose again three days later. And we know that he is in control. It says that he is seated at the right hand of the throne of God. And this is what it says to us. Consider him who endured from sinners such hostility against himself so that you may not grow weary or faint-hearted. I believe that this is a time that we're living in that I've talked to several people recently that There are times and seasons in our lives where so many other comforts or certainties are taken from us. And we're left realizing, well, what's what's there? And we might still have stuff. We might have other comforts. We might still be taken care of in an earthly sense, in a material sort of way. But left realizing, wow, My faith in Jesus is the only thing that is certain right now. I believe that that's a way that God wants us to live, recognizing that things can be taken from us at any time. We know that Job lost everything in such a short time. His, His, all his livestock and his children were taken from him in just a matter of moments. But the one thing that's certain that Jesus has gone before us. We can fix our eyes upon him and depend on him for strength. And in doing so, as we do, it says that you may not grow weary or faint-hearted. I'm going to close our time now. I'm going to invite you to pray a prayer along with me. It's up on the screen here. I believe this is such an appropriate prayer as we seek to live as confident Christians in these end times. Let's pray these words together. Lord Jesus, keep us faithful in a world spinning out of control, that in the end we may receive the salvation you are even now preparing for us. Amen. Lord God, that is our prayer. So often we look around at what's going on in the world, and it seems like it's spinning out of control, and sometimes we are tempted to wonder, are you in control? Have you lost control? But God, remind us day after day that we can be certain of the hope of everlasting life, that we can be certain of what Jesus accomplished for us on the cross, that we can be certain of the hope of the resurrection, that one day you are going to deliver us out of this world and take us to be with you forever. And God, as we come together now in the Lord's Supper, that is what we are reminded of, of the work of Jesus Christ and what he did for us, the payment that he, the punishment that he took upon himself on the cross, the payment that he made. God, remind us of that fact, of that 
that incredible work that he accomplished for us as we come forward and, and, and remember all that Christ has done for us. We pray in Jesus' name, amen.